Well, thank you guys. Thank uh, the choir. Thank all of you for taking part in worship this morning. Pray the Lord was honored and glorified in everything. If you brought your Bibles, turn to the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah, God's directed our thoughts here uh, this past Wednesday night, and I want us to look at Nehemiah chapter, chapter 8 to begin with. Nehemiah chapter 8, then we'll look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 10. But we'll look at Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and then verse 5. And later we'll look at uh, chapter 10. I want to share a sermon with you that I've entitled, The Purpose for Parenting. The Purpose for Parenting. Now, I had several titles. But, uh, one title I was, I was going to use, uh, Parenting by the Book. And so I settled on The Purpose for Parenting. If you found Nehemiah chapter 8, Let's look at verses uh, 1 through 3. Let's stand together as we read God's infallible, inspired word. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and then we'll look at verse 5. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake to Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from morning until midday, before the men and the women, and those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, he was standing above them on the platform. And when he had opened it, all the people stood up. May we pray. Father, thank you for an opportunity we have to come into your presence this morning. Lord, to take the book, Lord, your word, and open it, and read it, and realize, Lord, it's uh, without error, it's infallible, it's inspired, it's God-breathed. And so, Father, we thank you for the, the Bible, the Holy Scriptures that we have today. Help us to realize, Lord, as we have read and as we share this morning, that it's you that's speaking to us. I pray, Lord, that you'd give me the power to speak, the right words to say, the Spirit to say them in. I pray you'll touch the hearts of us who are here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, and please be seated. The purpose of parenting, Nehemiah chapter 8, 1 through 3, then verse 5, and then we're going to look at chapter 10, uh, perhaps 28 through 30. Everyone, everyone who has ever been challenged to raise children will certainly admit that raising children, parenting children, is a difficult job. Amen? Uh, everyone who's been given the challenge of raising children, that's a difficult job. Amen? Amen. Amen. We'd have to admit that, regardless if you're a blood parent or adoptive parent or a foster parent or a grandparent or an uncle or an aunt, if you've been... If you've been given the responsibility of raising a child, you have a difficult 
job. I've been there. Many of you are there in different forms, different ways of raising children. Just when you think that you have it figured out, little rascals change on you. You know, they're infants, and all of a sudden they change, and preschoolers and toddlers, and they and then after that, they go from preschool, then they go into kind of middle school age, and then they'll go into junior high age, and then they'll go into teenage years. And you get all of this free advice from everybody. Everybody's giving you free advice. However, oftentimes, there's no consistency in their advice. But let me say this, regardless, just remember this. The only, the only way to find any consistency in parenting is to base your parenting on the only thing that is consistent, and that is God's Word. To have consistency in parenting without reading Dr. Spock or some, some other uh, philosophies about parenting, and you'll find those are inconsistent at times. To have consistency in parenting, you go to the book that's always consistent, and that's the Word of God. So if you try to parent on anything else, your feelings, old wives' tales, uh, philosophies of the world. You're going to find yourself in an unbelievable cycle of frustration because there's only one thing that doesn't change. That's the Holy God. He's same, all, he's same always, past, present, and the future, and then His Word. So the point is, if you base your parenting on God's Word, you'll have some consistency in raising your children. With that said, God's Word has to be the foundation of your family. God's Word has to be the foundation of your life. So the question is, who's responsible for making sure that God's Word is the foundation of my family, or of our family? Well, dads, this is, this is where you come in. God's given you that responsibility to make sure that His Word is center in your family. His Word is primary in your family. His Word is the foundation of your home. And so according to God's Word, this starts with the dad. This starts with the father. It's not left up to the mom. It's not left up to a mother. Uh, it, it starts with the dad. Now, it also applies to everyone who has a hand in raising children. Now, there are a number of scenarios that, where a dad is not present. Maybe death has come into a home and removed the dad from a home. Maybe a single mother is raising the children. Maybe a, a grandma or a grandpa are raising their grandchildren as parents. Maybe a, an aunt or an uncle are raising their nieces and nephews as parents. Maybe a foster parent is serving as a parent. The point is all of us have children in and around our lives that we have influence on. It could be a teacher at church, a teacher in elementary school, pre-K, elementary school, junior high school. could be a teacher in senior high that's having an influence. could be a coach, could be a principal, could be a neighbor, could be a daycare worker. It could be a, a caseworker. Someone is affecting, influencing children, serving somewhat as a parent. So therefore, what I'm going to share this morning, I'm going to share some principles that will help us, all of us, parenting our children that are in our homes, regardless what you may refer to them as. You are the parent. 
perhaps. And so if the leader of the home is not interested in the Word of God, if the leader of the home is not interested in the Word of God, then you have a detrimental, you're having a detrimental effect upon your family. The Word of God must be primary in your home. So what joy it is to have a parent who will take the Word of God and take their lead from God and not their children. Did you hear that? To take your lead in parenting your children from the Word of God and not from your children. Because that's the foundation of your home, is the Word of God. And so this should be the desire of every heart, that having God's Word at the center of our home. That should be my desire. That was our desire when we were raising our children. We did the best we could with the Word of God. So this morning I want us to see that having God's Word at the center is going to affect three important aspects of your family. First of all, jot this down, if God's Word is at the center of your home, it will affect the way that you gather your children. You see that? If God's Word is at the center of your home, it will affect the way that you gather your family. We're going to gather our family. Where are we going to gather them? We're going to gather them at God's house. Okay, point number one. If His Word is at the center of your family, the center of your home, you're going to gather your family at God's house. Now in chapter 10, if you remember, God's people were in exile. All of a sudden, they're being returned from exile. They're going back to Jerusalem. They have a dire case there because the walls are burned down, are torn down. The city gates are burned. The city is completely destroyed. And Nehemiah is moved by the Holy Spirit to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. And in the process of rebuilding these walls, they uncovered the Word of God that had become lost. And it was that Word that they had heard in the synagogues when they were growing up, and now they're older people, senior adults perhaps. It was the Word of God that had been passed on to them down through the ages. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. And the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. They spoke to Ezra the scribe, Bring the book of the law which the Lord has commanded to Israel. Verse 2. And Ezra the priest brought the, the law before the congregation, both of men and women. And notice this. And all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month, and he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and the women, and those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And so in the process, they find the book. They uncovered God's Word that had been lost. They'd heard, this pre, they'd heard this taught from time to time. God's Word never had a copy of it. Now they have a copy of it. And they realized in many ways they had abandoned the Word of God. They'd realized that they had strayed away from the Word of God. 
But when God's Word was put before them afresh, they said, this is what we need. This, this is really what we need. It, it's not about rebuilding these walls. It's about rebuilding our lives. We have the Word of God to rebuild our lives. And at the center of this rebuilding, it must be the Word of God. And so the message was literally this, preacher, go get God's Word and come and, and preach to us and, and come and we're going to come back every single day and we're going to bring our families and those that can understand every, every woman and every man and every boy and every girl that can understand, we're going to bring them and you just read the Word, you preach to us. Now, I, I thought something was kind of interesting I noticed they kind of did ministry like we do ministry, and that they had adults and they had infants and they had preschoolers, no doubt. They're no different than us. But I noticed where he said there in verse 3, and those that can understand, those that can understand. That just simply means not everybody could understand. And so no doubt they had... They, 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 it came a point, of course, all through the Old Testament, you have this thing about the age of accountability where a person is not responsible, a, a small infant, young child, is not responsible until they get to a, a, a time in their life where they begin to understand the concepts, different concepts about God, about sin. And not everybody can understand, so they begin to understand the concept about God and the devil and good and evil and the consequences of, of those things. And then notice they gathered men and women and children and all that could understand. So they had to have had a nursery. Had to. They didn't bring the little ones. They couldn't understand. Somebody was watching all those babies. I appreciate our nursery workers. It's like pulling teeth to find nursery workers. I don't understand that. Because that is a, that, that's just not a convenient thing for people. That is a ministry of our church that come, people come in and say, Look, we'll, we'll watch after your child. We'll take real good care of your child while you have an opportunity to hear God's Word. And then you go hear God's Word. Then you come back and you get your child. You take your child home. And then you teach your child God's Word. The point is, we believe that, that mom and dad can come into a sanctuary, we, they can get a grip on the Word in here, then they can get their child, take them home, and the kid can get a grip on God's Word at home by mom and dad. So the children in the sanctuary, those that came on in the sanctuary, we have children in here today. You know what that means? You can understand. You can understand. We have a nursery for those that cannot understand. We have children's church of those who are learning to understand. And then at a certain age, they come into the sanctuary. And when they do that, that means, hey, you understand. Everyone in here, younger children that are in here, older children, our youth, adults, we're able to understand God, devil, sin, good, evil, consequence of sin, what God expects in obedience, what he expects in disobedience, about being lost, about being saved. Jesus died, Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose again. One day he's coming again. So when you get saved and when you come into this sanctuary, you're old enough to understand. 
means you don't walk around. It means you don't talk. You don't go to the restrooms. It means you stay off your telephone. Why is that? Because you've come into God's house to understand. Notice, everyone who came to the place of worship came for a purposeful uh, gathering. There was a purpose behind them coming in. They were coming purposefully. First of all, to, to hear the Word of God. Secondly, they wanted to hear the Word of God. They came to hear it. Secondly, they wanted to hear it. It was not some dull obligation they had to sit through. They desired to hear the Word of God. It, it was, you know, we get to go to God's house. We get, to, we get to go at that time. It wasn't complete, but we get to go hear the Word of God. And if you read the rest of chapter 8, you're going to discover where they would go and they would hear God's Word, they would weep, they would laugh, they would discuss it, they'd eat together, they'd go home, they'd talk about it when they got home, and they couldn't, get, they couldn't wait to get back to hear God's Word. So when they met, it wasn't just row after row after row of indifference. But it was people who had a purpose for being at church. They wanted to hear God's Word. And no doubt the parents got them up. They said, listen, it's time to get up. Let's get up. We're going to God's house. And we're going to hear God's Word. And so they were prepared to be there, and they were ready to go. So here's the point. How do we handle the preparation to, to gather in God's house? And, and listen, how we handle the preparation together in God's house, will go far in our engagement after we get here. Uh, have you ever considered all the things you prepare for? I know a lot of people, myself included, preparing for a vacation. We get a date, we know when we're going to leave, when we're going to come back. We write down things we want to see, where we're going, how much money it's going to take, what the room's going to cost. We make all that preparation for a vacation. We made preparation for camping trips. We have our list for camping. We made preparation for hunting trips, where the deer stand's going to be, when we're going to get up, when we're going to leave, when we're going to come back, what's going to happen if we get one. Do we have all our equipment? We made preparations for fishing. What time are we going to leave early in the morning? Be good to get there before the sun comes up. We make all those preparations. You know, what are we going to do? But, but some men, some men, not all men, some men thinks it's too long to come to church for two hours, an hour on Sunday night, an hour on Wednesday night, to give God four hours out of 168. So the way, the way we, we treat regular school compared to Sunday school, Uh, that's a whole different ball game. I mean, we make sure children are in bed on time. We make sure they don't stay up past a certain time. They can't go out with their friends during the week, perhaps. They got homework to do. They do their homework. We'll even review their homework. We'll, pass, we'll ask questions about their homework. We'll give test questions for them to answer. We make sure they get up plenty of time where they won't be tardy. They won't be late getting to school. That's how we treat regular school as opposed to Sunday school. Please remember this. Sunday morning worship is a Saturday night decision. 
And if you're waiting to figure out on Sunday morning whether or not you're going to God's house, first of all, that even shouldn't be a question for adults especially. For the Christian on Saturday night, you know, we need to say, children, listen, we got, we got, you know, we're at Walmart or we're over at Dippin' Dots or wherever it might be. We got to get home. It's getting late. We got to get up in the morning. We got to be at Sunday school at 9.45. We're going to God's house. We got to worship. It's time to go home. You got to get your bath. You got to get ready for church. So we're going to, you know, uh, it's important, kids, you say, that we hear God's Word because that's really the only thing that's going to make a difference in your life here and in eternity is God's Word. You see, we make it very clear what we hold dear. And so check on your priorities. Look at your life. Check out your, check out your priorities in life. One more thing to parents. Statistics are showing that young men, young women, who were engaged in their faith, who are now engaged in their faith in their 20s, as teenagers were made to go to church when they were in middle school and high school. Those that are engaging in Bible study now in their 20s were made to go to church in middle school and high school. Made, made, made. I, I, was, I was one of those, I was made to go to church. Now, I understand there is a, there is a well-intentioned thought of parents, and they mean, they mean well when they say it, because I hear it from time to time. And I know they mean well, and they'll say something like this, I want my kids to want to go to church. Or I don't want to make my children go to church. Or I don't want them to get turned off from church. You know what the problem is? Here's, here's the problem. Only, only saved people want to go to church. Only, only saved people want to go to church. And so if your teenager is saved, there shouldn't be any problem of them not wanting to go to church. But it should be understandable for those who have not come to Christ, they don't want to go to church. So if you have a child who's not a believer, they really don't want to be at church. The only hope for your child to move from being a lost kid to a saved kid is for them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only chance they have. You see, there's nothing in the Bible about raising good kids. There's nothing in the Bible about raising good citizens. There's nothing in the Bible about raising behaved boys and girls. The Bible's concerned about what? Saved and lost. All that other stuff takes care of itself. So if you have, if you have a lost little boy or a lost little girl, I promise you that if you'll have them here for Sunday school on Sunday morning, discipleship on Sunday night, teen kid on Wednesday night, vacation Bible school for children and youth, summer camp for youth, uh, strength to stand for youth, you make them come. Really? Well, do you give them a choice about going to school? Do you give them a choice about going to the doctor? You leave that up, you leave that up for them? 
Can you imagine uh, going in and, and saying, well, tomorrow morning we're going to church and, and you have, you have a, a child that says, you know, I believe I, I don't want to go. You say, well, I'll tell you what, you stay here. Mama, you plan on going? No, nah, I'm not going. You stay here with mom. I'm going to run on. Really? Listen, that is a dangerous thing. Very dangerous. Because they will never want to know. Let me say it this way. They'll never go on their own until they come to know Jesus. So how will they come to know Jesus? Real simple. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And so let me encourage you to take every opportunity you have to get them here and to hear about Jesus. Someone said this, and I, lo I loved it. Everything we make optional for our kids, we make it very clear that it's indifferent to us. Won't care. Won't care if you go or not. Everything you make optional for your children makes it very clear, very clear, that you're indifferent to it, or you wouldn't make it optional. The point is, uh, if, if it's uh, not a priority for us, if church is not a priority for us, it's not going to be a priority to them. So, if God's Word is at the center of your home, we're going to gather the family and I'm going to be over time. Secondly, jot this down. If God's Word is at the center of the home, we're going to guide our family. Look at chapter 10, verse 29. Chapter 10, verse 29. They clave to their brethren, their nobles, and entered a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given to Moses, the servant of God, to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord and in His judgments and His statutes. We're going to guide our family. We're going to guide them how? After God's Word. After we gather them together, we join there. Some translations say there in verse 20. We accept an oath. We're going to follow God's Word. We're accepting a curse. If we don't follow God's Word, then you're welcome, God, to bring us back in line. That's what that curse means. So what makes a Christian family distinctive? How can you recognize, a, oh, they go to church all the time. No, that's not what makes you distinct. Every, what, what makes them distinctive is that every decision they make is based on as best as they can tell the Word of God. They guide their family by the Word of God. And when you see that happening, you say, they must be Christians. You know what a, you know what a Christian fanatic is? It's not somebody who goes to church all the time. A Christian fanatic, they say, well, he's just a fanatic. A fanatic is somebody that loves God more than you do. That's what a Christian fanatic is. Remember, raising children is a difficult job. However, God's given us his guidebook. It's not guesswork. It's not guesswork. It's the real thing. And when you don't know what you're going to do with that three-year-old, I just can't handle him. He's five. Really? If you don't know what you're going to do with the three-year-old, the five-year-old, the 16-year-old, you need to read the book and apply the book. It's real simple. God's given us an instruction man, uh, manual in raising children. So now, you know, who or what's guiding our family? Now listen, let me say this. If discipleship's not guiding your family, 
It's not going to happen. If you're not teaching your, people, your children how to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus and allowing the church to help you do that, uh, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I don't have time for some statistics. But the most important thing for your children is not the experiences you can give them. I hear this all the time. The most important thing for your children is not the memories that you make. The most important thing for your children is not the accomplishments that they receive. How many trophies do you have in your 30-year-old son uh, storage building? How many, I mean, it's not the accomplishments. The most important thing you can give them is the foundation they build their future on. And if that foundation is not God's Word, you're setting them up big time, mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, whoever's in charge, aunt and uncles. You're setting them up for failure. For failure. Got a card from Corian today for Father's Day. And she ended her card. She's like me. She gets wordy at times. It's all sweet words. But here's what. Thank you for sharing the gospel with me and telling me about Jesus and eternity. That's what matters in your little boy and girl's life. It's not their batting average. not how many fish they caught. It's not if they played tennis, if they didn't make the football team. God's Word needs to be at the center. And so... God's Word in the center, we're going to gather them together. We're going to let God's Word guide us. I'm going to close with this. <clears throat> we're going to give our families away. Look at that. Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 30. And that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. You hear that? You know who said that? It wasn't a preacher that said that. It was mamas and daddies. It was, it was parents. They said, we're going to guide our children by the Word of God, and then we're not going to give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. You know the reality of parenting? The reality of parenting, and I've experienced this, is raising our kids to give them away. That's the reality of parenting. We're raising them up to leave our homes, to go into a world and be men and women of God and be productive in society. That's what we're doing. And so you better decide who you're going to give them to. Who you're prepared to give your children to. That statement there in verse 30, that's, that's made by parents. Listen, for whatever reason, we've gotten this... We've gotten this idea that families are a democracy. Families are not a democracy. The Bible says the parents are to be in charge of their family. You know? That's, that's what the Bible says. Dad's according to God's Word. You're to take the lead in all of this. You don't have a vote to see if you come to church or not. I mean, you have a vote to see if they go to school. It's not a democracy. You're, you're the leader. And so please remember that your kid's entire life is your business, <clears throat> even the ones that they marry. You say, Brother Sam, that's crazy. That's crazy. No. What's crazy is that we're, we're intimately involved in every decision that our kid makes, and that's good. 
We're involved in every decision that our child makes. If you don't believe it, if it's necessary, I mean, you'll sell your house, you'll relocate, you'll change your address to make sure your child has the best school, the best teachers, and can play sports. You'll do what you have to do. And then if your child gets on a team and, and maybe with a, you think's a sorry coach, you know what you're going to do? You're going to go talk to that coach. And you're going to let that coach have it, and then probably he's a volunteer or she's a volunteer coach. Just giving the time to work with kids. And see, there, there's, there's, there's no satisfaction. If there is no satisfaction, well, then you're going to drive somewhere so that they can be on the best third-grade ball team and they can win the championship. You're going to do it. You're involved in their life. You want the best school, the best coach, the best food, the best clothes, the best automobile. And then one day they bring a boyfriend home, they bring a girlfriend home, and you act like you can't get involved in that. Really? <laughs> Help us, God. Really? Brother Sammy, they're going to marry anyway. <laughs> but not on my watch. Not on your watch. If that boy, that girl, that they brought into your house, when you look at them the same way you look at that teacher in the second grade, third grade, or fifth grade, or you look at that ball coach in the seventh grade, are you going to say, this is somebody that I want to give my son to or somebody that I want to give my daughter to? question is, are we raising our kids to understand that God's word and the character of a person is more important. It trumps what they look like and maybe the charisma they have. God's word's more important than that. So the question is it how, how cute they look um, in, their, in their prom pictures? Or is, is this the guy who one day could lead my daughter? in a faithful walk with Jesus Christ? Or is, is this a young lady who's going to be a wonderful mate to my son who would raise the kids and, and be a great partner in walking with the Lord? Is that what you're looking for? Or do they just make a cute couple? So the question is, who, who are you willing to give your kids to? When I counsel young couples... Um, I share with them how God says a man is to leave his mother and father. We used to call that cutting, what, apron, apron strings. Remember that? That's what we called it, didn't it? Not the heart strings, but he's leaving mother and father, and he's going out with his wife. And the mother and father, he's to leave mother and father and do what? Cleave, that means glue together cleave to his wife. And, th and that's a big decision for, for any man, young man. I was 19 when I, when I came to that decision. However, the father of the bride is handing the hand off to his, of his daughter to this young man who he feels like with all his heart, this young man's going to love her like Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. Who are you willing to give your kids to? 
See, the point is, if you've taken your hands off of this area of your life, there's two explanations, and neither one of them's good. The first explanation I jotted down is you don't care what happens to them. The second one, you're scared of them, and both of them's not good. They're going to get mad at me. We have a decision to make. I want to be more concerned that my 35-year-old child respects me and appreciates me than my 5-year-old or my 16-year-old likes me. I want to be able to look back whether they liked it or not, agreed with it or not, they'll know that what I did and why I did it, and it would be the same today if, it was, if we were going through that process. So I pray for every parent today, as you gather your children in God's house, as you guide them by the Word of God, and as you give them away, that this book will be the center of your decisions. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had to open your book. Speak, to my, speak into my heart. And Lord, as we've shared with, from Nehemiah and the, and the commitments the people of God make there, oh God, help us to make those same commitments that we would gather our family at your house, we would guide them by your word, accept the curse, whatever you have to do to bring us back to it, and Lord, to be willing to give our children to godly people. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. Thank you for our fathers here today. We pray that we'll take the lead in our families. Thank you for what you're going to do uh, in this invitation time. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name.